Our scripture reading today comes from the book of Genesis, chapter 32, beginning at verse 22. Listen for what the Spirit is saying to the church today. The same night, he got up and took his two wives, his two maids, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and likewise everything that he had. Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A handful of you have told me about your insomnia. So I know that you hear at least a measure of something familiar in the story that I just read, where Jacob, left alone where all everyone else presumably sleeps, wrestles until daybreak. Can you remember the last time you were up at some forsaken hour? What did you do? What did you think about? What were your strategies for trying to fall back asleep? Did you lie there and count sheep? Or sing, this is the song that never ends, yes it goes on and on, my friends. Or a hundred bottles of beer on the wall. Maybe you prepared a warm glass of milk or read a page of the dictionary. Maybe you did some combination of things we are told not to do in such a situation. Poured a glass of wine, read some emails, checked Facebook to see if someone else was perhaps up with you. Maybe commiserate a little. Were you up because you were tending to a hungry baby or a child who'd had a nightmare? Or maybe you just needed to check and make sure they were still breathing, or that the stove was off, or that the alarm had indeed been set. Were you up because you simply could not turn off the to-do list that played on repeat in your head, or that weird conversation that you had at work the day before, or the agenda for tomorrow? Maybe you were up because grief wouldn't let you sleep. What are we usually wrestling with 
in those hours that can feel so lonely and so long. I returned recently from a retreat in Mo Ranch, Texas. This is the Montreat of the Southwest. And there I spent a few days learning about the Enneagram. This is a system of personality typing in which all of us fall within one of nine types. Your type isn't your true self because your true self is deeper than personality and it calls you to wholeness. But your type is your data feed, as the facilitator put it. It's your lens. It's your filter for how you look at and experience and respond in your world. My cohort learned that within each of us, there is a missing piece. Each of us lacks an inherent sense of something. And that powerful perceived lack determines what consumes our minds and our days. Some of us lack an inherent sense of goodness. Some of us worthiness. Some of us lack an inherent sense of safety or competence or importance. Indirectly, cunningly, quietly, the voice here says, what I have to say is not important, or I will never know enough, or I am not safe, or I am not worthy, or I am not good. When we dig a little, could it be that the missing piece keeps us up at night? What was Jacob's missing piece? What demon pounced when he had quieted enough to hear what it had to say? You're not worthy. You're not good. You're not lovable. What you have to say isn't really all that important. I say demon, but of course by the end of this narrative, we learn that Jacob calls that shadowy figure God. His encounter reveals that sometimes it can be tricky to tell the difference. When we are in a vulnerable position, wrestling with the mysterious, shadowy thing, when is it actually that we're wrestling with God? If we're wrestling with that missing piece, an inherent lost sense of security or worthiness or lovableness, how often are we actually wrestling with the God that we blame for stubbornly withholding that peace that would mend our brokenness and grant us wholeness. For Christians whose traditions have an overdeveloped sense of piety, Jacob's midnight encounter can actually be a bit unsettling. Where is Jacob's deference to the Almighty God? Where is his reverence and submission? He's already a complex character, a trickster, as we like to call him, a stealer of his brother Esau's birthright, a fugitive in his own family, a man whose deception yielded a fortune in acquired things, but a dearth in relationships. 
Now, on the precipice of his return home, when all of those memories hang heavy in the air, when that messy pot of family stuff is simmering, his posture isn't humble, but it's rather feisty. His stance is demanding. I won't let you go unless you bless me. For Jacob, it is not enough to simply get out of this wrestling match alive. He insists on getting a blessing out of it. It's a posture that I see occasionally in hospital rooms when complications from surgery set the patient farther back than he was when he entered, or in living rooms when the divorce papers are issued, or on the side of the road where you've pulled off so the doctor can share those lab results. It's a posture that I see anywhere that scary or crushing news is met with a little bit of defiance, with the demand that God at least hold the space, light the candle, protect the other things that you love. A woman who stayed at the edges of my former church once told me that in the midst of one of the biggest fights she'd ever had with her spouse, one that brought her into a heaving mess on the bathroom floor, she found herself begging God, her help me, help us, was more of a demand than a polite request. And most days, I don't think I even believe in God, she admitted. But there I was having the most intimate conversation. For Jews, this is one of the stories, a story on which so much else turns. Jacob, a painfully human person, is rewarded for his persistence. It's not so much a theology that says everything happens for a reason as an ethic that says life hands you lemons, then dog nabbit makes some good lemonade. To insist on the blessing doesn't mean that God doles out hardship in order that we might grow. It means we consider ourselves worthy enough to find and even insist on a blessing in the mess. I will not let you go unless you bless me. When I think of that kind of tenacity, someone who comes to mind is the late Polly Murray, named Anna Pauline Murray at birth. And I have to tell you, I'm indebted to my own father's research for what I'm about to tell you. Born in 1910 in Baltimore, Maryland, Polly was mostly raised in Durham, North Carolina, after she lost both of her parents at a young age. She moved to New York City to attend Hunter College when she was just 16 years old, followed by graduate study at Howard University, at the University of California, Berkeley, and later Harvard Law, where she became the first African-American to receive a JD from that institution. Murray became a lawyer 
an academic, and a civil rights activist, making contributions in the fields of feminist legal theory and cultural studies, and holding positions at the Ghana School of Law, Benedict College, and Brandeis University. Scanning a Wikipedia version of her life, it would be easy to miss just how hard fought each step was in that prolific career. As a person of color, as a woman, as a gay person and a transgender person, before there was even a name for that, Polly struggled mightily to understand herself and to make it as far as she did with that trifecta of discrimination that was crowding her in on every side. Even within the progressive movements of her time, she was denied leadership roles because of her race or her gender or her sexuality or some combination of those things. Compared to her peers, she worked in relative obscurity. It's why we don't really recognize her name. It was a combination of energy, intelligence, and stubborn persistence that enabled her to come out of every match. You know, for all of the praise that interpreters heap on Jacob's persistence, what happens at the end of that wrestling match also issues a warning to those of us who would dare wrestle with God. Jacob insisted on a blessing, but he probably didn't get the blessing that he was hoping for. We aren't privy to his internal dialogue, but one can imagine what he may have envisioned that blessing looking like in his context. Another wife, perhaps, another son, a bigger piece of land. Those would be appropriate blessings. But what he gets instead is a new name, Israel. And with a new name, a new identity. And with a new identity, new responsibility. This is Israel's birth story. And like Christian baptism, which is not only about the water that washes, but the flood that drowns, like Christian baptism, Jacob probably has some mixed feelings about this blessing because it's a blessing that empowers and expects him to be more, to live before God as God's own entrusted with God's vision, filled with God's spirit, challenged by God's commands. It draws him out of himself and gives him an identity that is bound up in we. This is the story of the Hebrew people. Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann says that Jacob's prevailing is a defeat as well as a victory. There is a dangerous, costly mystery in drawing too near and claiming too much. Polly Murray made a surprising turn later in her career and in her life. In her mid-60s, she went to seminary and became an, an Episcopal priest in 1977 the first African-American woman to be ordained in the denomination that had begun ordaining all women that year. The stirrings of that call began when her partner of many years lay dying. 
And Murray realized that she had been compartmentalizing her faith, but had really been on a spiritual journey all along. Her last major match surprised her, and it propelled her into the world of parish pastoring, which she spent her last years doing, preaching and teaching about what it meant to follow Christ, lifting up people like Dr. King and the civil rights movement that ironically, hadn't made a lot of room for her in its heyday. The story of Jacob at Peniel is a strange story with its mixture of encouragement and warning. Wrestle we may, insist on getting a blessing, get all tangled up with God, literally, but if you do then you best be prepared to receive more than you bargained for, more than you thought you wanted. There's a dangerous, costly mystery in drawing too near and claiming too much. Thanks be to God. Amen.